Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hello, and welcome to another episode of SLP Talk Show. This is actually episode number 29, so welcome. I'm Carrie. I'm Jim. And we are back. Uh, Jim, are you ready? We're going to start with a quick game of chump or champ. Okay. Are you feeling smart today? Maybe. Maybe. Okay, here we go. Four questions. If he gets them all right, he is... uh, A champ. The champ. The champ. If he doesn't get them all right, then he is officially... A chump. A chump. Here we go. Number one, in what city is UCLA located? Los Angeles. One for one. That was easy. This one's easy, too. You're going to like this one. What is the name of Jerry Seinfeld's neighbor and arch enemy who is a postman by profession in the TV show Seinfeld? Newman. Newman. Does Newman have... Is that his last name or his yeah, first name? It's, it's, it's Do you know his first name? No. Nobody... We never find out? I, I, I mean... It, I don't know it. And I've seen it all the way through. So Multiple times, probably. Maybe. 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 All right. Number three. You're two for two. Number three. What country is the tennis player Rafael Nadal from? Spain. Ah, excellent. Okay, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Question number four. If you know this one, I'm going to be impressed because I didn't know this oh, one. Oh, no. <laughs> what keyboard shortcut is used to save a document? Oh, uh... Control S. Oh, see, you knew it. Congratulations. Uh, I, I you feel, are a champ. I feel so blessed. And, you know, um, when we're recording this, it's um, Tuesday, and this is our trivia night. So mm-hmm. we actually go and play pub trivia. Right. And Jim answers all the questions, and I drink all the beer, and that's just how it works. Because <laughs> yeah. my role, it works well that way. my competent role is the scribe. Right, because yes. I yeah. know no trivia. You're good at writing things. Down. I'm good at words. Words are my jam. Yeah, but yep. You not do, you do a lot of the language stuff. Yeah, but not not like vocabulary. knowing random facts. Yeah. If you ask me, like three countries that border some other country, I'm done. I I got nothing. So, anyways. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, So I'm going to give you the date that we're recording this today because I know some of you are going to want to see this information in writing. So uh, today is September 13th. So if you are interested in seeing this information, uh, I did a social media post on my Instagram page and on my Facebook page. And when Jim and I first decided to do this podcast, one of the reasons that um, I really wanted this Uh, I guess, way to uh, chat with you guys more was because I often get questions for more info on certain social media posts. They like ask questions or, oh, I wish I could see more examples. Mm -hmm. I wish you could explain this more to me. So I'm like, oh, you know, that's why doing a podcast would be great. So this is one of those instances where um, after I posted this morning, I... I came down to our home office and I said, Jim, I know what I want to do for our podcast, right? Mm -hmm, And mm so um, you can go to the post from September 13th on Instagram or on Facebook. Carrie Ebert Seminars is my uh, handle and you can check this out. But what my post was about and what we're going to discuss today is writing neurodiversity affirming 
therapy goals. Ooh. So okay. this is a this is a big topic, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to tell you I graduated from grad school a really long time ago, 1995, and so I didn't learn this stuff. Right. In grad school, yeah. I didn't learn anything about anything like this. So um, most of us didn't. I mean, I would say unless you graduated like in the past couple years, right. you know, you probably haven't even really had a lot of exposure to what being a neurodiversity affirming therapist even means. Right. And mm-hmm. so as a parent, I mean, we're both, we're parents of an autistic child, right? Yes. Our son is a senior in high school. And right. so, gosh, we have really allowed him, I guess, to be our primary teachers, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've learned so much from him. Yeah, just about, I don't know, how to honor his interests and, yeah. you know, really um, yeah. uh, take his differences and and build off of them instead of trying to change him right no and and the bottom line is like with most parents is that you you want your child to be happy and healthy and just you know have be well adjusted exactly and and and, you know and we don't want therapy to try to take autistic joy away that's the one thing i don't want to change who he is Mm -mm, mm -mm, um mm -mm. you know and i've had some some people ask questions. Well, what if he wasn't autistic? autistic yeah. You know, wouldn't that be great or something? Mm-hmm. I'm like, no. Then who that's, is he? That's yeah. not who I know. Yeah, I don't know who that's, Aaron that's is. That's not my son. Yeah, I agree. You know, I so. agree. So what I want to do is share nine components of functional neurodiversity affirming goals. So if you're walking or working out or driving, you're like, oh no, I need to write this down. No, just go to my social media post and Mm -hmm. you can get the information there. I'm sure I will eventually turn this into a handout because I've already had multiple requests to do that. But here we go. Number one, when you're writing goals, you want to acknowledge the child's learning differences within the goal itself. So for example, you might say with visual supports, child will. Like, so whatever their learning differences are, we want to make sure that we're embedding those supports specifically into the goal. Okay. So that's the first component. Sounds good. The second component of a neurodiversity affirming goal is it should value the child's interests and honor autistic joy. Okay. So we shouldn't ever be writing goals that the child will play um, with toys in an appropriate way or yeah, what is well, that? yeah stop lining toys up or you know exactly um, we just want to make sure that we're honoring their interests please understand that a lot of autistic children actually have hyperlexia mm-hmm. our son certainly um, right you know uh, uh, showed us at a very young age not only did he have a deep interest in letters and the alphabet but mm-hmm. he was also spelling very long words before he was three years old observatory words like, that was the one we remember the most observa- <laughs> observatory and I don't even think he had any concept of what it was he, but didn't know he what was, it was fascinated no. with spelling right and yeah. so we had multiple sets of large letters that mm-hmm. would stand by themselves yep. and they were all over our house you'd walk into any room and you'd find spelled words mm-hmm. you know from yeah. our toddler yep. so um uh, make sure that you're honoring autistic joy to this day aaron is now 17 and to this day letters bring him an immense amount of joy do yes. they not yeah absolutely he still carries around a basket they're much smaller letters now they're from dollar tree they're yeah, a little, little foam. foam ones yeah. yeah and he had we have like five puzzles because some words have four e's you yeah. know or sometimes he spells phrases well, and now. he he plays with them he doesn't just make words he actually mm-hmm. i think 
in his mind, they're, they're different characters in right, his mind. Right, right. He makes them talk to each other, yeah, and he yeah, puts them in so. a castle. He has this castle in his room. Right. He's either putting his letters or his little colored sorting bears, yeah. um, and he makes patterns, I think. And yeah. in his mind, we maybe, and this is the thing, you guys, we don't have to understand autistic play. We no. need to stop assuming that we need to somehow make it purposeful or somehow understand it. Um, and I would say even up, uh, even just a couple years ago, I was still using the term purposeful play. Mm -hmm. And so I've stopped even using that term, right? And now we just talk about um, a play and that uh, autistic play is authentic play. Mm -hmm. And so... Oh, and it's purposeful for and him. And it is purposeful for him. So, so yes. yeah, it's determining... Yes. I mean, how do you determine that? Yeah, so we're not you know? going to. We're not going right. to use... So um, acknowledge the child's learning differences in the goals, value the child's interests, and honor autistic joy. The third component of a neurodiversity affirming goal is it should address the child's sensory needs okay okay so i'm going to give you guys some examples of how i write goals to kind of help with this and i will i'm sure uh tomorrow which will be september 14th i will give examples on social media of the goals written out because there's so many people requesting this info mm -hmm. the fourth component of a neurodiversity affirming goal um these goals should be strengths based instead of deficit driven Okay. So the way we were trained in grad school was to give a standardized test and then whatever the child failed or didn't do well on the test, mm -hmm. we would write a goal so that they could master that isolated skill. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's deficit driven. So what I would encourage you guys to think about is what are, instead of looking at deficits, we're going to look at the child's unique and individual learning okay how they learn and we're gonna look at those differences and view those differences as strengths so for example a child who knows their alphabet um, that is really helpful for example in speech therapy if you're working on like articulation or if they have apraxia if you can use graphic cues Mm -hmm. which means you like use a, a written letter to support their motor planning, let's say, for a target word. How powerful is that, right? Yeah, so yeah. given graphic cues, child will mm -hmm. correctly articulate X sound. Does that make okay. sense? So, yeah, that makes so sense. you can include that in the actual goal. I love that you're focusing on strengths and not on deficits. Right. Because, it's, you know, it's like in coaching, you know, you can look at a quarterback and say, okay, you know, he can't run very fast. Mm -hmm. He's not very mm -hmm. fast. So let's work on that. Let's let's right. make him fast. Right. Well, you can't. You can't make nope. a guy fast. Mm -mm. He's so either fast do? or he's not. You build on his strengths. Yeah. And that's yeah. a great analogy, Mr. Sportsman. Yeah. Thank you. I love it because this is where our brains need to be, okay? And I know what some of you are already thinking is, well, how are we going to get insurance to pay if we're not talking about deficits? Well, I'm going to give you some examples. We need to have this conversation, all right? Um, the next component, number five, uh, neurodiversity affirming goals should not be based on neurotypical norms. Okay. Mm. Mm. So we're going to run into problems here because every standardized test we administer um, is inherently biased. Let's right. be crystal clear about that. Every test we administer is inherently biased because it is normed. Don't you love that we use the word normal? Normed. Right. It's normed, and I'm doing air quotes, normed on neurotypical children. Right. So, of course, an autistic child or a child with Down syndrome or you can take any disability at all. Of course, that child isn't going to do well because it's normed on neurotypical kids. Well, I mean, isn't it even normed on certain cultures and certain oh, types of, you better of, believe you know, it. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, well, there's racial inequities, right. there's socioeconomic ine yeah. inequities. Yeah, you, you bet. So here's what I need you guys to understand is that autistic children 
you should expect them to have what we would call a spiky developmental profile. Okay. And spiky means it's like mountaintops, right? So right. they're really low in one area, really super high in another. Um, I used to call it scattered skills, okay. and there's nothing wrong with that term. No. But I hear a lot of autistic adults refer to their spiky profile, even as adults. Okay. Okay. So I think that's an interesting term, and I've started using that. So you should anticipate that autistic children are going to have spiky profiles because they don't develop like neurotypical children because they're a different neurotype. They're right. wired differently. Right. So um, autistic children, for example, maybe don't feed themselves with a spoon at the same time, in the same time frame that maybe a neurotypical child would, mm -hmm. right? So that's why, I mean, our mantra for years and years has been forward is forward no matter the speed, right? right? It does, and, yep. and no matter the order. I mean, that's the whole thing is as therapists, we're trained to look at these uh, developmental milestone checklist and be like, oh, he's missing this skill and this skill. So we have to teach that skill. Well, do we? Because it's possible he's going to acquire it on his own mm -hmm. um, in his own time frame, yeah. right? When provided with appropriate um, learning opportunities. Right. But why do we need to force feed all of this? And we we've don't. seen that with Aaron. Oh my gosh. Some of the skills, like I remember when he was like seven, I remember Jim, you and I having conversations like, is he ever going to be able to dress himself independently mm -hmm. because of his motor planning struggles throughout right. his whole body? He just could not right. like motor plan how to, you know, put his feet in the right side of the pants and get the arms. In. I mean, it was so complicated. And we were thinking, is he, a of course he can dress himself. Do you know what I mean? But he didn't develop it at the same, in the same time frame that a neurotypical child right. would. But now I watch him like when he was writing like, yeah, he rides horses. Ago. Yeah. Well, for those of you that know about horses, there's a there's a thing called posting when you're when you're in the trot, mm -hmm. and when you're showing horses, you um, post or you lift yourself out of the saddle mm -hmm. based on the outside front leg. So whatever <laughs> whatever leg the, of the horse is closest to the fence, that's what you that's how you post. So uh -huh. she his instructor was helping him you know get it right mm -hmm. and then she made him reverse directions and then she asked him how why not, now what leg are you posting uh -huh. off of and he he said he said the right answer and he got it right so you know there's all these things where but it we didn't even years. think he could yeah, maybe I, yeah. dress himself mm -hmm. now look what he's doing exactly it is it's so it's beautiful crazy. and and that's why as parents, if you are a parent listening to this, we are one thing that you know nobody ever said to us, but that I try to say to all my families is love the child in front of you, not the child society expects you to have. Exactly. You know, and that's really what this well, is. Well, I think about. that's true for all children. I think you're right. I think there are some times. Because there's so many, you know, we have three children, they're all different. Yeah, absolutely. They don't have. All right, let's get back to neurodiversity affirming goals. Cool. Uh, number six, don't teach the child to mask their autistic traits. So you should not be writing goals mm -hmm. to reduce stimming, for example. The only time we ever address stimming is if it is harmful to themselves or others. So okay. if they're headbanging, you know, repeatedly, right. they could hurt, you know, actually do harm. If they're, um, you know, scratching other people, for example, mm -hmm. for input. So sure. uh, if it's not um, dangerous or harmful, we don't address stimming. Okay. So we're never going to say things like happy or uh, quiet hands 
because a lot of our kids have happy hands, right? They're flapping and they that, that's a, a very common um, a, a, a stim that autistic individuals do. So we don't reduce stimming. We don't write goals to increase eye contact. And we certainly don't write goals for appropriate social skills. Because once again, who's going to determine what is What's appropriate? appropriate. Yeah, yeah. I will just throw this out there, that social skills are bidirectional. And what I mean by that is if we're going to teach anything about social skills, we should be teaching neurotypical children about autistic social skills. Mm-hmm. And we can teach autistic children about neurotypical social skills but it doesn't mean we teach them to use those skills it Mm -hmm. just means it's an understanding that when you have two cultures because autism is a culture when you have two cultures interacting Mm -hmm. you need to learn about the other culture but it doesn't mean you mimic them right and what we've done in therapy historically is taught autistic children to mimic uh, the social skills of neurotypical people right. and they don't understand why they do it. They might follow these social norms. See, here's that word again, but they have no idea why they're doing it. Well, it's it. like they're acting. Yeah, they are acting. That's what masking they're, is. They're playing a character. That's a great, see, you're amazing. Yeah, so it's masking, it's camouflaging, it's acting. And mm-hmm. it causes emotional strain. I'm sure it, it's it, stressful. Yeah, highly stressful. Okay, the next one. Number seven, uh, neurodiversity for affirming goals should promote self-advocacy. So you should be writing goals that encourage the child to be able to protest, express overstimulation, request assistance, indicate sensory needs, state preferred ways to socialize or play mm-hmm. or communicate. Okay. See, that's self-advocacy. And this is where I would encourage, especially if you're working with, you know, um, uh, kids who are school age, self-advocacy is should be one of the, the biggest areas uh, right. that we are addressing. Yep. Okay. Uh, number eight, a neurodiversity affirming goal should honor all forms of communication, not just mouth words. Right. Not just spoken words, whatever you call them, right? Not just oral language. Everybody in our society seems to, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but I would say the majority of people place higher value on spoken language mm-hmm. than on other forms of communication. Right. And yet, how often in a day do we communicate without speaking? Sure. I mean, I'm telling yeah. you, multimodal communication um, should be an integral part of our goals. So literally starting your goal, when provided with unrestricted access to multimodal communication, comma, child will blank, right? I don't care what your goal is, but the point is you are providing unrestricted access to multimodal communication, meaning you're accepting gestures, you're accepting vocalizations, mm-hmm. you're accepting mouth words, you're, you know, which is spoken language, you're accepting AAC, Right. Um, you know, uh, uh, so I, the, we've got to make sure that we're not hyper-focusing on spoken language. And the ninth component of neurodiversity affirming goals, um, they should avoid ableist language. So ableism is discrimination against disabled people. And I think okay. historically, under the medical model of disability, there has always been an assumption that being disabled equals poorer quality of life. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is spend 10 minutes with Aaron when he's right. watching NASCAR, when he's um, you see his riding joy. his horse, when you when you see his autistic joy, you could never look at our son and go, oh, his quality of life is so poor. See, this is yeah. what, and this is what um, the medical model of disability has us believing that, oh, if we could fix his deficits, if mm-hmm. we can make him more neurotypical, then he would have a better quality of life. Sure. And so that is not neurodiversity affirming. Because we want to make everybody exactly the same. Yeah, like, is it being a, is it cloning everybody? Like, I always joke about this i'm always like okay so if we've decided that there's one correct way of being human Mm -hmm. then if we have to pick one human to clone you tell me how we're going to find the perfect human who are we going to pick i think somebody already tried that and his name was hitler and his name was hitler and it didn't work that's see Mm, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're saying it. Yeah. So why do we think that everybody needs to be the same? Everybody needs they to don't. act the same. Everybody. No, absolutely not. So we're going to avoid. Here are some ableist terms. Okay, Jim, are you ready for these? These are, are, are terms that are in documentation that are often in goals. Um, age appropriate. See, mm-hmm. that's ableist. Right. right. Um, socially acceptable. To whom? Right. 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 Um, similar to same age peers. Well, are you telling me that an autistic child should then acquire the same skills and develop like their peers? Because if they're neurotypical, that's not going to happen. Right. You're setting them up for failure. And if you do meet that goal, you're teaching them to mask, mm-hmm. which causes mental health issues. Right. So we're not. Gonna I mean, even it. within neurotypicals, aren't, isn't there a range? Of course there is. Of course there is. So. But we've decided. What that are we saying? When exactly it comes then? to disabled children, that we have no tolerance for that range, right? That we've decided you have to be similar to same age I mean, peers. Yeah. Right. So not everybody can be outgoing. No. Not everybody can be an extrovert. Not right. everybody. Exactly. Can, you know, there's going to be people that are introverts. There are right. going to be people that are good at sports, bad at sports. Exactly. You know, there, I mean, there's people that. It's called variability, right? They have different skills. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a couple more terms that are ableist. Typical behaviors or socially acceptable behaviors, right? We're not going to use terms like that. And anything that focuses on compliance. If you have the word compliant, child will be compliant with non-preferred activities. N Oh, no. Okay. Now, I will say that there comes a time where children need to complete boring tasks, such as folding laundry is a boring task. I struggle, you know, doing boring tasks. Okay. But to write goals for children to be compliant with non-preferred activities, that's Mm -hmm. not neurodiversity affirming. So you guys are probably questioning then, what are some examples of functional neurodiversity affirming goals? So I'm just going to read you. I I just picked a few. Awesome. Are you ready? Here we go. Given unrestricted access to multimodal communication child will participate in classroom story time by making comments and asking answering questions related to a book now you have to make that measurable i don't know what setting you work in maybe a three out of four day-to-days or with three different books in one week you can make anything measurable i'm not here to tell you how to make it measurable i'm just here to talk to you about how to make it neurodiversity affirming okay okay um second example given sensory inputs to support self-regulation child will participate in shared social experiences with an adult or with peers or with classmates or right but not in a Typical fashion. No, no, no. (laughs) Shared social experiences, right? right? Uh, Number three, when provided with visual supports, child will share two or more details about a recent activity. Think how Mm. hard it is for a child comes home from school or a child goes to speech therapy and the adult asks, oh, what'd you do this morning in class? You know, Mm -hmm. what'd you do on your field trip? What, What story did, you know, whatever. We ask this. Well, I, I'm sorry, but a, a lot of our kids, especially autistic children, aren't going to be able to recall, mm-hmm. you know, and be yeah. able to come up with that. So if we have uh, visual supports of their schedule, you know, where it actually maybe has a couple pictures of what they did in the morning or, you know, some things, looking at that, they'll be able to tell you two things, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that they... Uh, you know, do. I like to I like to just ask him, how, how did your day go today? Uh-huh. Yeah. What, was, what was your best part? What was your favorite part? Yeah, what was your favorite yeah. part of today? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and then he'll, you know, then he picks something. Yeah, yeah. When he was younger, he couldn't have done that, though. No. And we didn't 
really have visual support set up for them. But I think about how even if you're asking, um, you know, maybe you read a book and you want to make sure the child comprehended, mm-hmm. right? So you want them to tell you two details. Oh, what was that story about? Well, if you don't present the book and maybe turn the pages and maybe point to something relevant, mm-hmm. you know, they may not be able to just come up with it. Sure. So that's what yeah. we're saying is given visual supports, whatever right. those visual right. supports might be, yeah. right? That makes it neurodiversity affirming. Here's another example. Child will self-advocate to indicate preferred ways to socialize in the classroom or on the playground, wherever. So we assume that um, autistic children um, have to play with other kids Mm -hmm. to have a a full quality of life. And autistic children need to be able to say um, in any modality, I want to play alone. Mm -hmm. Or I want to play next to Sam, but it doesn't mean I want to play with, right? We have this idea that children have to play together to have, to have joy. A lot of autistic children find great joy in playing alone, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's not for us to determine. So we need children to self-advocate and say, Mm -hmm. you know, how or if they want to socialize with others. A child will seek out safe ways to achieve oral input using chewables and mouth fidgets during playtime or during story time. Mm -hmm. Uh, With adult supports, child will communicate sensory needs to improve self-regulation during, right? Make it measurable, whatever. whatever. Okay. Uh, Two more. No, one more. Given unrestricted access to multimodal communication, child will respond to comments, questions, and directions during whatever routine or, you know, three times in a whatever however you want to make it measurable so let me just give you an example if you ask a child are you hungry Mm -hmm. um and we want that child to answer that question right so or it may it could be anything do you want to go outside and play or do you want to color right we ask them this yes no question okay and we want them to respond um if we ask are you hungry there's many ways a child could respond to demonstrate to us that they understood Mm because this is a receptive language right this is really what we're getting at here so if i ask are you hungry and the child is right the child wants to indicate yes Mm -hmm. the child could clap Mm -hmm. wouldn't that to you indicate yes they could say with mouth words yes or yeah right Mm -hmm. that's one way um they could gesture or point towards the kitchen Mm -hmm. which means let's go there right? right um they could nod their head right that's a a non-verbal way of communicating they could walk to the kitchen which to you would indicate oh i think that the answer is yes they could open the refrigerator they could squeal with delight they could lead you to the kitchen my point is when we're talking about communication we should not be hyper focusing on spoken language Mm -hmm. so language trumps speech and i know i wish somebody would have taught me this a long time ago that we shouldn't only um Focus on spoken language, on mouth words, right? We need to be really honoring all forms of communication as being valid instead of saying you have to use spoken words or it's incorrect. Okay. All right. So will insurance pay? This was the big question I got on social media today. Well, I think the question we need to ask ourselves is this. What's the purpose of your therapy? What are the important goals that the child needs? Okay, because mm-hmm. if you're writing goals, um, any goal can be measurable, right? Mm-hmm. So are you right. writing meaningful goals? So here's the deal. This is what makes a goal functional. Functional goals should be relevant, practical, useful, and meaningful. So what that means is they should have a purpose beyond acquiring a hierarchy of isolated developmental skills. Mm. Okay. Right. So we don't want to just focus on these isolated either developmental or language or cognitive skills that are out of context, that have nothing to do with daily routines, you know. And so um, what goals should be written so that or goals should be chosen because they are necessary. That skill is necessary for participation in life outside of therapy. Mm. Okay. That's 
what we should be focusing on. So will insurance pay? Well, are you showing a need for services? I mean, if the child could already do these functional things, they wouldn't be in speech and language therapy, right? right so right. you just need to write goals, not based on developmental milestones mm-hmm. that are, are, are for neurotypical children, but what skills does the child need to participate fully in life outside of therapy? Right. And as long as you're choosing those goals, the other thing about goals is they should be, functional goals should be equitable and they should be culturally responsive. And so don't ever forget that autism is a culture, mm-hmm. right? We've got to honor yeah. the autistic way of being human instead of assuming our job is to fix them because right. autistic children are not broken. They're not. And so I, I know this is going to sound crazy coming from a speech language pathologist, but I'm not a huge fan of intensive direct therapy. I think it's very important that we are coaching parents and caregivers right. and teachers and paras on what strategies um, support the child's way of being human, mm-hmm. right? To enhance their learning and development, okay? So that's yeah. really what my role as an SLP is. My role is not to teach isolated skills out of context so that the next time I give you the PLS or some other standardized test that you score higher, mm-hmm. right? That's not what I'm interested in. So do we have work to do in educating insurance companies? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about that all day, but should, will insurance pay? Well, if you write your goals so that they're functional and they're measurable and, you know, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't. Um, so it's very important that we understand the purpose of therapy. So yep. thanks for listening to uh, another, that was a pretty intense episode. It was. It was. A lot of information, right? Uh, 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 so thanks for listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying uh, the podcast, we would really appreciate uh, leaving us a five-star review. We also love your feedback. If there's any topics you want us to cover in the future, uh, go to my uh, Instagram page or my Facebook page and check out the uh, written post on this topic that I did today. So as you go back into the real world, be kind. Please be accepting. Please get your boobies checked. Uh, Early intervention, early detection, not intervention, early detection. (laughs) I am an EI provider. Yeah. Early detection could save your life. It certainly saved mine. I am a 10-year breast cancer survivor. Woo-hoo. So, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. All right, guys. Until we meet again, cheers. Cheers.